IDC's Bob Parker and Simon Ellis share groundbreaking research on the impact of COVID-19 and expert tips on how to achieve supply chain resilience. That's right now on the Agile Supply Chain Podcast. Good morning, uh, Bob and and Simon from IDC. Um, Welcome to this thought leadership series that we're doing at Tracelink, uh, where we have the privilege to interview uh, global supply chain thought leaders and analysts, consultants on the agile supply chain. And the timing for all of this, you know, no timing is perfect in a pandemic sense, but the timing is good uh, given what we learned, etc. So I've asked the two of you after a very successful IDC benchmarking effort uh, that Tracelink commissioned IDC with uh, on disruptions in the supply chain to talk about um, the agile supply chain credo that we produced inside and with uh, with input from you as well. Uh, you know, just to emphasize it's technology and vendor agnostic, uh, Tracelink sponsored and was the catalyst, but it's by no means, you know, about our products or just about Tracelink. Of course, we subscribe to it. So without any further ado, let me ask each of you to introduce yourselves. And then the next point is to ask you what pops out at you from the credo, what what really gets you? And then, you know, I'm sure the discussion will get heated after that. So Bob, over to you. Thanks, Roddy. Hello, everyone. I'm Bob Parker. I'm a senior vice president at IDC, responsible for our industry research, our enterprise software research, and our professional services research, so those groups. Yeah, you know, I, you know, Roddy, you and I go way back, and uh, we're some of the original thinkers around the supply chain operating reference model. Um, and so uh, I think back to that and how the credo uh, putting this into the public domain is very similar to the efforts we did way back when at AMR research around that model. But I think what really comes out for me is the patient centricity, right? I think uh, we talk a lot uh, in our health insights practice about value-based medicine, which is really defined as the best possible outcome at the lowest possible cost. And I think if we can organize the supply chain around that purpose, rather than individual self-interest, we can accomplish that promise of true value-based medicine and the best possible outcomes for the patient uh, at the lowest possible cost. And And I really think companies need to stop thinking about their supply chain as arm's length transactions upstream and downstream. And they really need to start to think about creating a common purpose that everyone can profit from. Well said. And and I think, you know, part of the challenge is think about CMOs and suppliers to manufacturing companies. Do they ever get to touch the patient? They probably don't. So patient centric is, yeah, that's, you know, that's a big vision for the organization. We've got to make it real. Simon, over to you. Yes, uh, good morning, Roddy. Pleasure to be with you here today. Um, Simon Ellis, um, IDC, you know, I introduce myself these days as kind of all things supply chain, even though that isn't, <laughs> that isn't strictly true. There are certainly many other folks at IDC who, who, who I rely on to do excellent research. Um, I've been with IDC for 13 years. I was a consumer of the work that Roddy and Bob did uh, many years ago um, when I was at a CPG company before, uh, before IDC. You know, I think, um, so, so I, look, I'm not ashamed to say that I am a supply chain geek. I have been for a long time. Um, you know, this idea of, you know, visibility plus agility equating to resiliency 
is something you know that I've talked about for for some years now, but I think it's really come into focus uh, in 2020 when we've had so many issues with 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 the both the supply and the demand side of the supply chain, Roddy. So I, I think you know the the agile supply chain credo speaks to me because it really does focus in on that idea that I have to be able to see what's happening. Not just see what's happening, though. I have to be able to do something about it, right? I don't want to be a spectator to an unfolding disaster. I want to be able to intervene. I want to be agile. I want to be able to make the right moves at the right time, so that what I've seen doesn't impact me as much as potentially it may it may my my um, my competitors. And and if I do those two things, you know, I get resiliency. And we saw. Uh, Roddy, as you well know, we saw a lot of those themes in the benchmarking survey, that the benchmarking study that Roddy mentioned that uh, that uh, TraceLink commissioned us to do. So, well, we are affectionately going to refer to Simon's formula going on because I think it's <laughs> it's profoundly simple, and and I'm going to come back to that formula and maybe you can expand a little bit on it because yep. I think it's a great takeaway. Bob, you and I had a discussion around you know the pivot from business-centric to patient-centric. And, and I'd like you to talk to a, a little to that because whilst it's a very simple face value statement, it has profound implications uh, on, on how, you business, how you structure your operating model of the business and what's likely to change. So let's start off with that perspective from you. Sure. And I think it goes pre-pandemic and as we talked about digital transformation within the life science industry, we, we at IDC, our life science team talks a lot about knowledge-based medicine, right? So, you know, I, I think that aligns with the patient-centric view of the world because we think that companies that can create economies of intelligence, right? If you kind of think about the history of industry, it's gone from economies of scale to economies of scope to economies of learning, and we're clearly in this economies of intelligence, and that really depends on a company's ability to do really three things in our mind. You need to be able to synthesize data and information. You need to increase your capacity to learn. And you need to be able to do that at scale. So if you're on the synthesized information side, what we see companies trying to do incorrectly is they're looking at their traditional enterprise apps as the source of the data that they need to uh, to do better knowledge management and better learning. And I think that's a fallacy because if it's your ERP system or even some of your supply chain systems, it's very transactional and it's a, it's a performance context. So it's like driving the boat by looking at the wake. And what companies really need to start to do is think about the telemetry or the instrumentation of the process to get a situational context of what's going on. So if I'm going to be truly patient-centric, I need to be able to instrument my processes so that I can have a situational context. I can drive automation where I need it and take the most advantage of my human skills at my company for the higher level insight. So I would recommend that companies stop completely depending on their traditional enterprise application data, which is backward looking and, um, in uh, uh, performance-based and start thinking about how they instrument their processes so that they can understand the situational context and make more resilient decisions. That's the operating model. 
Yeah, and I love that because there's two thoughts that immediately jump to mind. You know, this idea that we've been, you and I have been writing about for 10, 15 years, that the digital twin being able to separate the flow of information from the flow of the physical product. And because the physical product is so critical in healthcare, you know, margins of 80% plus and, and 300 days worth of inventory, that's all they really care about. So the information flowed with the product. But now being able to get ahead of that flow of the product and start doing augmented analytics and predictive analytics because you know you've learned so much from the past that you can predict what's likely to happen in the future i think that's profound and the credo really focused a lot on that and that is you know the role of systems is not to replace people it's to augment people's work practices and behaviors and detect scenarios as quickly as possible so you know well said and i think that movement from, you know, not to knock ERP because at the time it's what we needed to integrate the back office of the business, but but really it was sufficient at the time, but it's not good enough for the future. So Simon, in, in respect of your, you know, famous Simon Ellis formula, talk a little bit at, at the next decomposed level because I think it's a yeah. profoundly simple thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so uh, forgive me, I'll, I'll further Bob's boating analogy, right? So... Uh, I was talking about the, you know, the old saying about a rising tide floats all boats, while a falling tide maroons them all as well, right? And, and I think that's what we've seen here in the supply chain. You know, the water's dropped, the, the, the rocks that perhaps we sort of knew were there have now become real problems and, and, we've, and we've wrecked our boats on them, right? And so, so, you know, as I think about, you know, stepping back visibility plus agility equals resiliency, and, you know, and I think about the, the sort of the two first components, right? So, so visibility, I mean, you know, over half of the companies that we've talked to both in the benchmarking survey and in surveys that I've done independently at IDC say that they don't have adequate visibility. If they had better visibility, they'd be able to improve their finished stock inventories. They would be able to improve their service deliveries. They would be able to do things more quickly. I mean, one of the, one of the companies that I've dealt with for years talks about time to recovery and that's their key metric. So when something goes wrong, maybe it takes them by surprise, maybe it doesn't, but the key is how quickly do they get back to where they were, right? How, how much can they compress that time to recovery? And you simply can't do that if you don't see what's happening. I mean, there's another company that I work with who you know, was, was subscribing to an information service who saw some early strange cases of pneumonia in Wuhan in November and December. And, and as it progressed into January and February, they saw at least the potential for impact on their supply, but they couldn't do anything about it, right? They had, they were locked into these contracts. They were, they were regionally rigid as they, as they say, and they, they simply couldn't do anything about it. So they, they saw it, they had the visible visibility piece down, but they didn't have the agility. They were, their supply side was too rigid. They didn't have the, the 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 they didn't have redundant suppliers. They didn't they hadn't done supply diversity, right? And we we saw that in the survey as well. So I think those are to me those are the two pieces. You know, how do you make sure that you see to the best of your ability what's happening through multiple tiers of your supply chain? But then how do you make sure that you have the flexibility? You you talk about you know reliable in your credo, right? How do you make sure that you can be reliable? in the context of having that supply diversity, having that, that supply network, if you will, so that as demand changes or as demand deflects, you, you, can, you can meet it and your time to recovery is minimized. Fantastic. And, and uh, 
after I've brought together your point and Bob's point, because I think there's a there's a great synergistic perspective, I'm going to ask you each, you know, what are from each of you, what's a stop and what's a start if you had to make a recommendation to, you know, somebody who's listening to this. The piece coming together is, Simon, what you said is, you know, without this end-to-end visibility, and Bob, your point was, you know, systems were built around individual businesses, right? And when you've got a healthcare system, uh, and, and I think back on the, and I'm very, very careful to purpose this statement, the MIT beer game, not the beer game, the MIT beer game, which is where, you know, you play the game of being able to see upstream and downstream. But when you've got long strings of hard-coded transactional systems all in a long line between the patient and suppliers, it's extremely difficult to see anything in fast enough time to be able to respond to it and to build the agility that Simon's talking about. Because, you know, if, if I'm, if, you know, and let's go back 10 years, there was a big a, a ERP vendor that talked about, you know, agile systems and agile supply chain. And for them, it was about all the data being integrated in the ERP system. Well, it's a hell of a lot more than just integrating yeah, yeah. data. It's yeah. about integrating people, process, yeah. leadership, and the data. Yeah. So let's get over to this to the stop starts. And, and I think that will bring us to the end. And, and I think, you know, focus on what is it that companies insightfully have to absolutely stop doing and what should they profoundly start thinking about doing? And there's obviously obvious ones, but but I think both of you will add a unique perspective. Yes, I'll start. And, and Simon, the tide going out, I like Warren Buffett's quote better. When the tide goes out, you see who's who's swimming naked, right? Or to use my ex-CEO's example, when the tide goes out, you can see where the rocks are that you need to avoid the next time you go sailing out in the bay. Right. So stop swimming naked is my first uh, <laughs> thought. But um, yeah, but in, in all seriousness, I think um, I think I tried to uh, weave that in a little bit. I think you need to stop thinking about your participation in the value chain as uh, as a guided by individual self-interest and you need to think about the purpose that's captured in the credo, which is making it about the patient. And, and we're never going to get to precision personalized medicine unless we start to put those things in place today. You also have to stop having complete dependence on your accounting systems because essentially ERP at the end of the day is an accounting system to create the situational awareness you need to be as agile as Simon describes. So you really need to start to think about how you create telemetry. And I, and I think you, you mentioned digital twins, Roddy, and we kind of think there's a, there's a physical twin, a biological twin that's based on science. There's a behavioral twin that we can observe patient behavior, but in between there's a process twin. And you taught me a long time ago <laughs> that it's all about the variability. It doesn't matter if the process takes three minutes. It's the amount of variability around that three minutes that creates your ability to deliver reliably. And I, that is so apt. That's as true today as when we first talked about it 20 years ago. So I think the other thing that people should start doing is thinking about creating a decision environment that's a process twin that can quickly find root causes of adverse events in the supply chain and to Simon's earlier point, rectify them quickly. You know, well said. And I think long strings of systems, 
it's extremely difficult to spot any nanosecond variability. Yeah. You're probably going to see it, you know, we, days, weeks, months after it happened. You know, I'll never forget, you know, Simon, I'm going to lose a bet by using this example, and you already know what I'm going to say. But many years back, Procter & Gamble used to see, sometimes we see a stock out on a shop four, week, four weeks after it's happened, and we can respond to it. So that ain't going to work. If you want to have minimum inventory, and you're only seeing these things weeks or months after they've happened, you're just never going to be responsive to the patient. So, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I think just quickly for me, it's, it's this idea of just stop deploying, you know, local and or siloed solutions to fix problems, right? That, you know, just the, 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 the metaphorical bandaid on the problem, right? I, I just, I think companies, it's too much firefighting. It's too much reacting. It's not enough proacting. Um, I think. I think you know. Just got to stop that. What we've got to do is we've got to be more holistic about how we look at the supply chain. We've got to, you know, use the. I think Riley, you you said it to me um, at, at some point, right? You know, use the pandemic as kind of the burning platform to fundamentally rethink the way that we run our supply chains. You know, get the get the end to end visibility you need. Make sure that you have the agility in place. You touched on. Um, you know, people, process, and technology. I, I think, you know, I know I'm guilty of going to technology too quickly, but it's also about the people in the process, right? Have the, you know, have the crisis management resources in place. Doesn't mean they're doing it on a daily basis, but have them in place so that when something happens, you don't have to to slap that that metaphorical bandaid on the problem. You can treat it in a more holistic way. So stop stop the bandaids. Start thinking more holistically. That that would be my view. Well, well said. And I think, you know, just to close off with a point and then thank you. I mean, um, you know, we talk about agile being people, process and technology. And I also think what's often forgotten about, although it's inherent, is leadership. Right. And, and my best example of a leader that has real foresight, it's Annette Clayton at Schneider. You know, Annette, who's gone from leading supply chain at Dell to leading supply chain at Schneider to now the CEO of North America. And what I love about Annette is if you look at her strategy, and it's very public, so this is not any inside information, is if you look at the five-stage maturity model, she's teaching her team and coaching her team what it is to be an organization in stage four or five, let alone the fact that they have inherited all these acquisitions that are probably all in stage two. But when the leadership knows how to drag all of the components of the business to stage four, because they've figured it out at the leadership level, then it's much easier for people to, you know, follow my leader, so to speak. I mean, there's a reason why that expression exists. So fantastic uh, uh, session packed with really good insights, as I would expect from both of you. Um, it's a privilege to have, you know, this particular thought leadership session on our uh, um, on our whole website. And, you know, we have the, believe it or not, AgileSupplyChain.com belongs to this topic, which is incredible that it even exists. People have said, I would have paid anything for that website. And I just had a, an idea and I said, we need to go quickly get it. And we got it. So, but thank you again. This has been fantastic. Uh, a privilege to have you. And thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks buddy.